Hey guys, thanks for downloading episode 2. Whilst I was checking on the quality of the episode, I noticed there was some mistake on referencing the ride. So to correct it, the official name of the ride in Dreamworld is the Thunder River Rapid Ride, or TRRR, and sometimes we mix up the order. Now thanks for being patient, and we hope to bring you more quality podcast episodes in the future. To contact us, you can email at thefireinthedesert at gmail.com or Twitter at fireinthedesert. Links in the podcast description below. And now, on to the show. All right, so welcome back to the Fire in the Desert with myself, Johnny, and Pat. How are you going? Hey, Johnny. Doing pretty good. All right, so episode 13, the Thunder Rapid River Ride, Dreamworld, which happened at Dreamworld on the 25th of October, 2016. Shane Green was one of the first people on the scene of the day on the ride's malfunction, an experience he describes in his first television interview as a nightmarish ordeal. I was getting nervous because of the voices on the radio, just the tones. He had been working on the first A-Team for four years and said the panic in his colleagues' voices alarmed him. It was nothing compared to what he saw when he arrived on scene that day, jumping into the water to assist a colleague. There were lots of screaming and yelling going on, he said. I crawled into the raft just to check for signs of life, which I knew at the time by what I could see was more than likely a waste of time. At the end of the day, almost a generation of one family had been wiped out. The former police officer and paramedic now lives as a virtual recluse near the Victorian Alps, crippled by severe post-traumatic stress disorder from what he saw that day. The Thunder River Rapid Rides was supposed to provide whitewater thrills from the safety of a six-person raft. Near the finish, the raft rides up a conveyor belt before slowly descending back into the trench full of water. But on this day in 2016, an empty raft got stuck causing the raft coming behind to flip on its side. The immense force involved could be seen when the raft was later removed for forensic examination. Two victims were crushed between the raft and the conveyor belt. Two more victims were thrown into the water. Mr. Green said at first he could see three patients until the water in the trench started draining. All of a sudden, there's another person there, and you're just thinking this is like a nightmare or a movie or some disaster zone, he said. It seems surreal because it shouldn't be happening. This was our theme park where we could make people happy. There was lots of yelling, overwhelming distress and despair from members of the family that were there, Mr. Green recalled. I was shaking and I was crying and completely beside myself knowing that there could have been another two young people, Mr. Green said. That night when I went back into the clinic just to clean up the equipment, I'm rolling my pants legs up and I'm stained in red from the legs down. And that was an article, Like a Nightmare, the preventable accident that gave paramedic and Dreamworld first responder PTSD. Written by a current affairs staff on 9now.com.au. So when you go to an amusement park, you don't, you know, you pay the ticket at the front counter, you go through and ride the rails to get a good time with your friends and family. You expect that that you go home at the end of the day. But unfortunately for four people, they would not be able to go home and lost their lives on the Thunder Rapid River ride at Dreamworld. And it was apparently the most popular ride in the theme park. 
So, you know, you know, Pat, do you recall this event? I do actually. Yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, it was. A, it was an immense tragedy. I, I remember the. It was prime time news for weeks, easily. Yeah. And yeah, there was, like. I'd say, how how many like tens of thousands of people would go through that park. Have you actually ridden on a ride? Not this one, no. I, uh, my family didn't go to Dreamworld that often. We'd go to Movie World or SeaWorld yeah. more often than not, like if given the choice between between them. But um, I know I know lots of people who go to Dreamworld have got, have gone on the ride, that sort of thing, and no no issue. Again, this is this this freak, tragic accident that happened. Yeah, I think yeah. went to Dreamworld maybe once, and then I think it went to Movie World a couple of years ago, but. Mm. I just remember hearing about it. I think it was, yeah, my sister's wedding was approaching that time. Oh, so yeah. I was at, I was in uh, I was in Brisbane, and mm. then we had uh, relatives from overseas come over, and they had just gone on to Dreamworld. Yeah, and then they're like, "No, this thing happened." Yeah, well, the, well, Dreamworld is kind of this quint for the Gold Coast. It's kind of this quintessential uh, feature of the Gold Coast experience. If you're going to if you're going to the Gold Coast or going to Queensland, that's going to Dreamworld is something that you do as a major tourist attraction. And to hear the story of such a, of such a tragedy happen pretty much out, out of nowhere, like there was no setup or like this is something that could happen. It just, it just happened. It's like, you know, hang on, that, that doesn't make any sense. How, how did that happen? Yeah. Yeah. And, and like for Dreamworld, you think... Like this is our version of Disneyland. Yeah. Like, when we when we hear about you going to the Gold Coast in Australia, like you going to Dreamworld. Exactly. Know? Exactly. And, and like this is a big brand name, and then to think, you know, and to think, four people died mm. on and, the and, most popular attraction. And and to, and when you realize that that's even something that could happen, you don't think that that's something that is even possible necessarily. As you said, you go there to have to have a good time. And that's it. It runs at complete odds with what your ex, what the expectations of the place are supposed to be. Yeah, it's a yeah. theme park. It's supposed to be happy, happy, yeah. joy, joy. And well, ha- happy and safe. Happy and safe. Yeah, you you, you pay oh, how much is it? Oh, like a hundred dollars. Hundred dollars. Eighty dollars. A hundred dollars. Something like that. If you're an adult, and then maybe like a bit discount. If, if you're a kid, maybe fifty yeah. fifty dollars. That's yeah. that's not well, cheap. <laughs> Well, I'm from a family of five, so it's uh, that's a pretty pretty penny if uh, if you if you want to take the family off to dream yeah. to off to a theme park. I remember, like you know, Disneyland in Hong Kong, it was like five hundred dollars Hong Kong, which is about thirty dollars Australian. That's so, a pretty good deal. Yeah, but it's mm. not it's not cheap. Yeah. All right, so you know, for the listeners out there, like who've listened to uh, the sinking of seawall, and then we talked about the the Russian Japanese war about tragedies. Mm. I think we'll be doing the same thing except we'll be trying to unpack where it is starting from the very beginning and then we'll go deeper and deeper into um, dream world and the organization and some of the, and some of the things they try to mitigate and we'll see whether this thing could have been prevented most of the stuff will be drawn out from the coroner's report so if you go on to uh, you know if you go on to Google if you look up the thunder rip rap, the thunder rapid river ride or TRRR, uh, coroner's report it's all on a public domain uh, except when i quote some of the other other passages all right so what happened what was the technical or immediate cause 
So what was the cause? If you just draw a circle around the, the attraction and, and see what's happening there. So there's, uh, there's raft number six. So that's the raft ahead of the, uh, the raft of, that we're describing. So the one that got stuck? Yeah. Also, so, the empty, so, so raft the number empty, six. The empty one. Well, raft number six departs with guests and it okay. goes down a slide with mm. no issues. Okay. Then later on, raft number five with the four victims and the two children depart later, go down the right with no issues. Then there are two water pumps. There's one on the north side and one on the south side. And these water pumps uh, take the water from the reservoir and put them into the trough. Uh, and so the south pump, the south pump fails. The, the water level then descends and drops. Mm. Uh, the conveyor is still keep, is still operating, uh, so that brings the raft up from the end of the ride, so the end of the the slidey yeah. bit, up to the loading unloading area where mm. you would queue up. Yeah. So it has to go back to the very top, yeah. and then using gravity, you know, the raft drops down. Yeah. So conveyor takes the raft up. Uh, it loads number six, and the the conveyor is about two two belts well, with planks and shot and slats across to catch the raft and lift them to the starting point. Mm. Okay, RAF number six then descends the conveyor. Uh, but due to the water level, it is now trapped on the supporting rails. So these supporting rails are in the bottom of the trough at the loading and un load and unload area so that when people step off the RAF, that it doesn't flip. Right. Uh, so that's one of the things that they try to help prevent flipping, but now... It's now close now, be, now, now because it can't flip, it's become a stop. It's, stop. it's become stuck, yeah. There's, yeah. A, there's an unforeseen, you know, flow and effect from there. So raft number six stops and it's stuck on the supporting rails when the water level drops. At the same time, raft number five is now picked up on the conveyor and descends. Raft number five contacts raft number six. Actually, it hits it twice. And on a third time, it pivots up. So the forward, the front facing part starts to lift up. Raft number six is still stationary, but raft number five pivots up and with the rear, it is pulled into the conveyor. It is pulled between the gap of the conveyor, so the end of the conveyor and the start of the supporting rail. So there just happens to be enough gap so that the conveyor pulls it into this gap. Yeah. And then they said that passengers are seen to fall from the raft into the conveyor. Mm. And that's when uh, tragedy strikes. Yeah. So, you know, you, you have to Google some images and what we have here, some of the images that you can get from newspapers or online on Google. And you can just see, you know, there's a conveyor belt. You can fall through that conveyor belt easily and you can be turned into pretty much, you know, I mean, here the, here the graphics look like mince meat. <laughs> like the, the arrows are just like destroyed. Yeah. So victims and survivors. Victims said it was Miss Cindy Lowe, age 42, with her son Kieran Lowe. Then it was Miss Kate Goodchild, age 31, with her daughter Ebony Turner. Then there was Luke Dorset, age 35, brother of Kate Goodchild. And then Mr. Roosbear Argy, age 38, partner of Luke Dorset, and had moved from Iran to Australia. So the four adults have died. And the two children survived. And some of the comments when I was reading this, you know, I was trying to go through some of the news articles and they said injuries not compatible with life. Yeah. And and from what I've been from what I've been trying to look online, it's you know, 
when a medic or the first responder says injury is not compatible with life, I mean, it's like, you know, why did you, why did you stop doing CPR? Because they had injuries not compatible with life, i.e. there was, you know, the head was over there. Right. The, I can't so do such, CPR. I can't. Such, such, such catastrophic injuries yeah. that there's nothing, it's, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. It's, they're clearly dead. And I think we, when we read through that intro story, like you said, you know, I thought I was doing CPR, but it was a waste of time. Yeah. So, so Kate Goodchild, according to the mortuary examination, so she had crushing injuries to the chest and abdomen, rib fractures and liver fragmentation, Luke Dawson, neck, spine, rib injuries, severing of the brainstem, Cindy Lowe, injuries to the head, chest, abdomen, pelvis and limbs, uh, Ruzbe Aragi, compressive impact to chest from fast-moving implement, internal and external chest injuries. And to continue from the coroner's report, all victims did not show signs of drowning. And from here we can deduce that most of the injuries occurred from the falling from the raft yeah. or f uh, through impact injuries from the conveyor belt. And uh, you can easily go on to videos on youtube and you can see you know there's a stationary raft and then raft number five is flipped and it's pulled into the gap uh, because the conveyor belt you know it's it's still moving it's it, still moving it draws yeah. it in yeah. to that gap and then what's another image uh there was another image like uh, i meant to pull out and you can see like the rear of of the raft there's a mm. seat there like yeah. those actually that's not, that's not wood. I think that's like fiberglass. And yeah. you can see like it's shredded. Half a like... It's like a, a giant chunk has been ripped, ripped yeah. out of it. It's like a shark, it looks like, that just bit yeah. into it. But that's, you know, that's the conveyor belt. That's what the conveyor belt's doing. Well, yeah. that's what I'm thinking is doing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, there's a few technical terms here. So nipping point or nip point. Um, so points in the machinery with potential to nip, bite, or catch body parts. So, you know, I'm thinking you know, on escalator, which is, you know, always, you know, there's always a nip point because you can be drawn into that when you're holding onto the rubber bit yeah. on the, on the yeah, and you, escalator. If, and if you wrap your fingers around oh, yeah, it yeah. underneath, yeah. there's that nip point where you can get your fingers caught. Yeah, or like, you know, the, the old, uh, when, you're, when you're a kid, you're scared of your toes being bitten by the, yeah. the metal bits that, uh, that, that rotate, the sharp yeah. bits. Yeah. Uh, seat belts. So seat belts of the raft were actually made from a simple Velcro strap. <laughs> said so you think roller coaster is not a serious ride it's like that it's a, it's, it's a heavy buckle it's a car you know it's your, your car seat belt which is yeah. designed to um stretch yeah. when experiencing several g's and the metal buckle but mm. here it's like a simple velcro strap yeah and it's what 2016 so yeah. it's like well, well, it's also it's also, it's also no, good to note when was this ride originally like again you build the ride and then you renovate and you update it from over the years but also there's a factor here that the ride has been a staple of dream world for many many years so it's old yeah, yeah. And, it, and it was and it's not a bullet train uh ultra fast roller coaster where you where th when you're designing or engineering this thing you're thinking okay we need to put seat belts heavy duty stuff to make sure you don't fly off the right roller coaster this the, the rides just aren't the same sort of class of thing that they're doing so yeah so it's a Velcro strap designed to strain, restrain passengers during the rafting moment on the ride. It's not meant to restrain passengers when the raft flips over or goes up perpendicular so that the passengers in the front actually fall from the seat. Like, it's not weight-bearing. 
mm. uh, the trough. So that's pretty much uh, where you fill up the uh, fill up of water. So it's a trough with a sh- with a channeling system that that holds water over length from uh, about four hundred and ten meters. Transporting the raft with occupants, it can go one point three meters in depth and varies in width from three to five meters. It's made of concrete and it consists of a series of turns and drops to simulate the rafting experience. Uh, supporting rails um, and the water level. So throughout, yeah, we said before, the trough, there's a pair of 100 mil steel rails spaced 1,450 mils apart, uh, bolted to the bottom of the concrete floor of the trough, and it's designed to prevent the raft from sinking to the bottom of the trough and prevent it from tipping or flipping over when the occupants uh, embark or disembark. And so the supporting rails, so there at uh, at the unload point, there was six, 760 mil gap uh, f- from the end of the conveyor belt to the start of the supporting rails. So there's a, there's a catch point there. And so when the water level drops, you can actually see the rails or the rafts would just remain on top and remain stationary because they, they're not floating and moving forward. Um, and you can always see images from uh, the coroner's report and they'll actually show you when the water level when they drain the entire ride, you can see like there's metal bits there. There's a the conveyor belt there, and there's a little catch point there. Uh, so conveyor belt. So since the ride begins with a drop from the start, so you you, you release from the start point, then we start the drop. Yeah. So you need to go back to the very top and reset the ride. And yeah, so the conveyor is chain driven by electric motor. The conveyor belt is a constructed from a series of wooden planks spaced uh, evenly across the belt. Planks are about 780 mil uh, apart and create a gap about 160 mil by 1,250 mil. So the gap between the planks, mm. it's sufficient for pe- a person of moderate size to fall through. Yeah. And the speed of the conveyor is uh, constantly at 2.7 kilometers per hour. Right. Uh, well, okay, we're drawing, uh, you know, we've drawn pictures from the coroner's report and just showing it to Pat while we're going through it. So, yeah, you can always go online, look at the coroner's report and just go through the pictures. Okay, technical issues and the pumps and the faults. So there's two electric pumps that we talked about, north and the south, and they maintain water level in the trough. Uh, the south pump had issues throughout the week and on the morning of the incident there was a call out for technicians to inspect and clear the fault and the pump had early been referred to an external contractor who was booked in to inspect the pump that that, that date of inspection was going to be occurring after the date of the incident and the south pump had a, a fault on it indicating an earthing fault and you can always clear the fault by when a technician opens up the panel and just resets it. Yeah. So when South Pump stops functioning when raft number six is ascending the conveyor belt, they had a CCTV uh, footage that the main operators would, would observe and the water was seen flowing back into the pump outlet. And so when f- the water level drops, raft number six is unloaded but trapped on the supporting rails, thus leading to raft number five to collide with it. And then uh, the operators. So there was two operators on the right, so number one and number two. So number one was Mr. Peter Nemeth, 38 years, uh, responsible for oversight of the ride and also for managing number two operator. 
So Nemeth worked for four years at Dreamworld and under TRRR for two years as a number two operator for six months. Then later on, graduate to number one operator. Mm. Uh, he was also a safety representative for the ride operator and engaged in a safety audits of rides. And he was only elevated at his positions because of his experience and tenure right. and not provided any specific training. So like, you know, you're the most experience in the group why because you will work there the longest yeah and then you know what since you know this you know you're our senior uh person within our team you can be the safety auditor you know i don't know if there's any extra money or extra allowances account of that to Mm. say um but then you represent our group because you know we trust you yeah um so which is also how business is done not just in, not just in the theme park world but also that's how just general business is done as well yeah 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 uh, so that there will be a monthly meeting with the safety department yeah number two operator so miss courtney williams 21 mm. years right worked uh part-time and also full-time since july 2015 so one year and four months mm. prior to the accident she was trained on a TRRR on the day of the incident. Right. So she was given 1.5 hours of training before being deemed competent by the operations manager. And the operations manager was um, number one operator? Or no, the operations manager, we're talking about, you know, your, uh, the person who's in charge of all the operators on the right. ride. So gotcha. that person would be roaming around. Gotcha, you know, yeah. I guess walkie-talkie or sitting in the office yeah. waiting for the calls and doing yeah. training. Supervising one, one and a half hours, managing that's shift. enough to <laughs> okay. And, and you know what? You know, 21 years old, yeah. Um, I don't know what she was doing, maybe she's a uni student or something like Pro- probably, probably, but, you know, yeah, finish, um, finish high school, doing some uni work, maybe doing some kind of stuff. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't really find much about this person, yeah. But you know what? During part time, full time, I guess during the summer peak period, yeah, you know, earn some extra money at yeah. Teachable R, not expecting you know to be uh, managing this yeah no i i i, I more remarked on going who thought it was a good idea regardless of the of the individual in question here who thought it would be a good idea to give anyone one and a half hours worth of training and said go off you go have a good time dream world fair enough fair <laughs> enough <laughs> all right we'll get into, we'll dig well again that's why we're digging into it yeah so who thought it was a good idea i tried to sketch it out i was trying to like apply some safety model so yeah i, I when you're doing accident uh, investigation analysis you try to do like a bow tie model mm. so you know what was the cause of the incident so that's the very center of the bow tie and mm. then you try to go before the accident so preventative um things could have risk controls yep and then after it's a consequence so how do you yeah. recover from that yeah and i try to look at you know the hazards was probably some of the things that we should capture and what mm. are the barriers uh, then there was also an interesting bit about past history on a TRRR, uh, which I think we will dig in later on. Yeah. And then we put in like, where's the barriers there? And then afterwards, after the, I guess, the if the thing flipped, mm. what are the so many things that could have helped recover from the incident? Right. So, you know, I, I guess like think of an airplane. So if you had an engine fault what's what's there in the system to help you recover well yeah the pilot's training you mm. have maybe engineering you have a spare engine that yeah. will give you enough uh lift before yeah. it descends. Bef- before it falls out of the sky so yeah. with the river raft like you know what do you think if when you when you pivot up then if you had engineered it with that 
uh, accident in mind. You wouldn't have yeah. the nipping point. Yeah. Well, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have put a the wooden slats. We wouldn't have set up a gap so that someone could actually fit through yeah. into the conveyor belt. You would have gone. Someone would have fought, could have fallen out of the right into the water. They would have hit the wooden slats, and yeah. that would, that would essentially be the worst of it. They possibly you, you would then have dealing with possibly drowning or what or something. But there's there's a separation point between the lethal conveyor belt and the people. Yeah. So like, I mean, a passive engineering design. Yeah. Uh, which you know, it's designed to not you know you don't create a hole that people can drop through. Yeah. Exactly. Or yeah. maybe you have an active engineering design, which is like a sensor which would detect some kind of abnormality. Yeah. And would stop. Yeah. And then I try to go through the cheese slices. You know, we have individual actions, local conditions risk controls, yeah. organizational influence, and we try to dig deep into go into regulatory framework, go through all these layers, and um, I try to draw lines on there. I don't think, well, for the listeners, I'm just, I try to do little events from each of the uh, slices and I try to draw lines. And what you end up with is like that sort of, what do you call it, Acumap? Uh Or I guess, think about that crime investigation yeah, yeah. where the guy's trying to work out everything and he has like little post-it notes and has little red, strings of yarn which enjoyed it I, I see those and go conspiracy theory plotting but go ahead but, 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 that, but that, is, that is how you sort of communicate you yeah can see it's you know it's on a it's on a whiteboard you here's, can see here's how all, here's all the individual nodes and here's how the nodes relate and interconnect with each other yeah, yeah. good conspiracy theory but yeah oh, it's not a conspiracy <laughs> theory I'm, I'm pretty sure like investigators in the oh in I, this no incident would I, have I think, I, think I, I think I've seen one of the versions of the Sherlock Holmes TV shows one of the one of the iterations I think they um they had him doing something like that. Yeah. yeah. All right. Anyway. So, all right. So first, first layer in the cheese slice. Yeah. So individual actions. Uh, so emergency button was not activated. So this was one of the things that we drawn out from the report. I think it was the number one operator. He testified and he did press the button. But then when investigators came in, they actually found like there's no button press according to the logs. Right. So of course, all that machinery, there would be logs indicating what's actually happened. And they would have recorded that there's a button that that button would have had uh, when it was pressed. It would have sent a signal through. Yeah. There was no signal. So, number one, oper- there's only two operators. Number one sits at the main, you know, switch. Yeah. And he's also managing the guests as well. Yeah. Uh, number two was fairly new. We talked about uh, the the 21 year old girl. Yeah. Uh, she was sitting, or she was managing the unload area. Right. And where number one stands, actually he cannot see the unload point. There's like right. some obstruction in there. Not only that, you do have guests. Yeah. You do have a queue. Oh, You're also trying to load you, people up at the same time. To switch that around, to put yourself into that position, imagine that you're one of the guests in that crowd. It's a hectic, massive press of people because everyone, everyone behind you is wanting to push ahead to get on the ride and... Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it's it's pandemonium. Complaining children. Yeah, exactly. It's hot, tired, yeah. waiting in line for a very long time. And you and you've got that one attendant who's going. They they've got to check and make sure each and every person is buckled in, set up, ready to go. Okay, you're done. Move on. Yeah. And, and you're doing the same repetitive task again and again and again, on hours on end, all day long, every day. So, yeah. yeah. There's also CCTV footage mm. uh, that you know, a monitor also attached to the panel. So yeah. they've also got to look, the, the number one operator has to look at that as well. Yeah. Number two operator actually sits underneath number one. So, you know, where does the buck stop? Stops at number one. Yeah. And we, when we've heard like, 
she was new mm. and then to press the emergency button you'd be very confident that you should of shutting it down it's yeah. a danger because why, why is it because then you have end up with doing the operation side your boss will have to come in yeah you have to tell the guests you know sorry you had to do emergency shutdown yeah. this is her first day yeah it's like you don't want you don't want to be doing that <laughs> no so was, was it her first day oh that's right you did say so this that. is her yeah. first day on she, the ride yeah she'd been she'd been tr- given the one half hour training in the i guess in the morning yeah. and okay gotcha yeah you did say that all right so another one south pump failed so it failed twice before the event and actually three times on a day so eleven fifty of the day the mm. first pump failed Water level dropped. Operators noticed a drop and commenced shut, emergency shutdown. Uh, there was an alarm, and then there's an earthing fault. And the technician came in, reset the button, uh, pressed the reset button, cleared the the earth fault. Okay, so he didn't. He wasn't able to clear the the fault with the reset button, so he did a hard reset, power on and off. But that, that's it. Yeah. Like there was no investigation. You know why? What, what's why? the earth fault? <laughs> yeah. Back in grade seven or eight, like learning about electricity, is is there was that that's a power shortage? Uh, well, possibly like a surge. Like, like you would do, you would have something to earth, right? So it's mm. to to maintain that voltage. I can see that, like you know, there's water involved in this ride. Maybe something's dripping, something kind of um, short circuit. Uh, who knows? But the end line is the guy did investigate. The technician did not investigate. No. He just was reset. Yeah, default. All right, just reset it. Yeah. And again, I can see the I can see the scenario playing out again, where the technician gets called out. He's been called out to dozens of rides. He's been called out to all sorts of rides every single day. You go, yep, that's fine. Press the button, move on. Yeah, essentially George Jetson, essentially just pressing the button or Homer Simpson, right? Pressing the button, and it works. And it works. Like okay, <laughs> that easy fix. Move on to the next job. Pretty much, not worth the time investigating. Just keep pushing the people through. Yeah. Second pump failure at 1309. Yeah. So what? What is that? An hour and a 10 minutes? Yeah. Uh, water level drops. Uh, then Miss Williams, so the 21-year girl, mm. was at the main uh, control panel, but swapped with number one operator who shut down the machine. Again, so she's not very confident. So number one operator, hey, I recognize what's going on. I'll shut it down. Yeah. Rafts are trapped, and then they, rest, uh, and they rested on support rails. Mm. The same technicians come out and conduct the reset. Yeah. And in this case, uh, the ops manager, so the person in, in charge of Man. all the operators. so The person who gave the training to yeah. um, uh, Miss Williams. Yeah, so Miss Cotter. Right. Uh, Miss Cotter, the operation ops manager, is uh, is captured in the coroner's report. And mm. she's uh, recorded as talking to the technician. What are we doing about this pump problem? This is ridiculous. Uh, and the technician, he has said to advise her that it's our procedure that the alarm has to occur three times before the ride is shut down. If another one happens, we will close the ride for the day. The, the ride is fine now to run. And it goes, it does not appear that the second fault of the south pump was escalated to the engineering and technical department supervisor. Okay. So they have a process, a procedure in place, and the ride is starting to tick the boxes of that procedure but it hasn't reached that point yet well hold that thought so yeah. what we hear from the technician is he believes that if i want to do a flat shutdown for the rest of the day yeah it has to occur three times yeah we'll dig a little bit deeper in that oh area. yeah I, I suspect so yeah so it's never reported because it hasn't reached its uh threshold yeah. for reporting uh, there was no full and auto shutdown, so forensics and experts noted that the emergency shutdown button for stopping conveyor was different from the water pumps. There was a lack of sh- system uh, full auto shutdown 
to shut down both the pump and the conveyor. So if one fails, the other one will still operate. Right. So the button will only stop, I believe, it's stop the conveyor, any mechanical bits. Yeah. It does not stop the water pump. Right. Likewise, the water pump failure or fault will not trigger a conveyor stop. Right. So you're stopping the the issue at, at the the current issue, but you will not shut down everything, pretty much. Yeah. And I believe I, which you can see, which you can start to see the problems in that kind of thinking. If you've got a problem with a complex piece of machinery like a theme park ride, and you're only stopping a few of the different part, moving parts and letting the other parts continue on as normal, and you haven't got a button to stop it all. Yeah, you've got a problem there. Well, like, a problem remember, brewing. Remember, for like you know, like high school we operate those you know this engineering machinery. There's always a big red button. Oh yeah, and big red button means stop everything. Everything. Yeah. But in this case, you press the big red button and something still keeps moving. Yeah. You know, we. Oh yeah. You design emergency stop. Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And uh, I, I I remember that in design class. <laughs> I actually remember that in design class where the the teacher would demo. This is what's going to happen if there's a problem, and if you're using the let's say the hand drill or the drill press or something, and you're using it and there's, there's a pr- blood. <laughs> well, let, well, let's say let's say another student's tie, for example, because um, as boys we have to wear tie, uh, ties in school, for example. One of the student's ties gets caught in the drill and it starts getting twisted. The teacher notices it, presses the button, all of the drills stop. Yeah. Imagine if your drill, or worse, the student who has the emergency, his drill keeps going. You've yeah. got a massive problem there. Or shuts down a different drill. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, so another one. Uh, the pump outlets let water back easily. So the height of the water pump is above the supporting rail. So that means when the water pump stops, uh, water that's within the trough will start to go reverse. Right. Whereas if you lift the pump outlet above the normal water line, you can t- clearly see where the water is coming and stopping mm. but then when it when the water stops coming out it doesn't trickle back through yeah. if you lift it above the water line mm. so that was one of the things that the forensics uh, unit noticed next is uh, local conditions so the next uh, next cheese slice so there's new person and lack of training so yeah. we talked about 1.5 hours minimum in the operator's procedure manual right also, oh, that that's dictated. That is dictated according to the TRRR, right. whoever wrote the, the training manual and the operator's manual. <laughs> right. You could chalk this up and pack it up, pack it up for the day, pretty much chalk it up to the uh, individual incompetence of the person providing the training and go, why did you only give that person, any trainee, one and a half hours? But then when you stop and realize, you go, hang on, it's in the training manual? It's like... Yeah. Well, that's what a book says, right? Exactly, it's like... Who wrote the book? Because at one point you're going, okay, easy. It's an easy problem to fix. You blame the person providing the training. And you go, hang on, the person providing the training, they were following the rules that they were given in the book. Yeah. Okay, who wrote the book? It keeps, it keeps going up up the scale, of, up the hierarchy. Yeah. So on the day of the event, she, Miss Williams begins training at 9.25. And a little bit of extract from the, from the coroner's report. Miss Williams acknowledged during her interview with OIR, so Office of Industrial Relations, and at the inquest that she had been shown four buttons as part of a circular motion to shut down the ride on the main panel, which included two emergency stops. 
However, Ms. Williams disagrees that she was shown the shutdown for the conveyor as part of the emergency shutdown procedure to be followed at the main control panel. She was simply shown the buttons to press during the procedure and was not aware mechanically what those buttons did. So you're pretty much just told here as red button, green button, blue button, press those buttons, problem solved. Yeah, it's like, press, press it in this order. Yeah, like exactly. Like, you know, exactly. Computer game. Go, yeah, exactly. And you go, okay, what's the red button do? Well, the red button is connected to this. Yeah. And you, that information isn't there. So you go, okay, I just press one, two, three, I'm done. Not, okay, first I have to turn off this process, then that process, then that process. So 9.25 is when she starts working. Oh, so she, when she starts training. Yeah. 10.05, teacher Pilar, open to public. And then... Uh, Miss Crisp states that she advised Miss Williams as to the water level and referred her to the markings on the wall. She stated, as long as the rafts are bobbling around, uh, are bobbling around, you know that your water level is enough. As soon as they're not moving or as soon as you notice that the level that drop, uh, th that's how you know that your water level is mm. right. So, you know, you think if this is supposed to be a, a water level sensitive uh, ride, then yeah. you'd think there's a water gauge yeah water gauge or, or an indicator on your control panels that is testing that the ideal amount of water for you yeah so refer to the markings on the wall which doesn't the, the report doesn't say it could be lines i don't yeah. know it could be a bunch of leaves where they always dry up and stick to the it's hard to the trough. it's hard to say but with the brownish stuff yeah. on the wall on the, on the trough but again you, you compare this ride to say a, a standard roller coaster that has a lot more mechanical parts what you'd be doing is that each of those rides are very specialized in two very different areas. So what you would need to do when setting up the safety procedures for that is making, is making sure that the individual attributes, the unique attributes of those rides, that they are being catered for. So if this is a water ride and your water level is critical, you want to make sure that you've got all the information being relayed to your technician that is indicating that this ride is at peak optimal efficiency, not just a visual gauge off on the wall sort of yeah. thing. And, and you could easily just put an engineering control there, like a water gauge and a exactly. water sensor, yeah. uh, flash it up immediately yeah. rather than try to like, yeah. well, well, I'm dealing with guests at the moment and then the water level's over there, so I yeah. can't have to turn my head around all the time. We might get to this later, but I can imagine the immense pressure that these operators are put under to keep guests coming through keep guests happy yeah because the last thing that you want is guests complaining on social media or to the management of the park going i couldn't go to the ride because the line was so long yeah. because the operator is being extra diligent at their job mm. it's it's a it's an impossible balancing act really i'm just reading it's like you know what the rafts are bobbling what, what does bobbling bobbling Bobbly mean, mean is it moving? Is it just well going again? Up and down? Well, go pull ten people up off the street net right now and ask would they would what they would constitute bobbling, and you'd probably get ten different answers. What are those? Uh, one of those things you get from uh, from EB Games, pop pop toys. The oh yeah, head, the pop figures. Yeah, the head bobble things. Oh, head yeah, bobbles, yeah, 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 pop figures. Yeah, yeah. All right. So continue. Uh, according to Miss Williams, while she was the main control panel with Miss Crisp, the yellow case enclosing the E stop button or emergency stop button at the unload area was pointed out from a distance, which at the time had Mr. Williams' drink bottle on it. Okay. According to Miss Williams, Miss Chris stated that this was the e-stop button for the unload side, and the words to the effect of, but don't worry about oh, it. Oh, gosh. No one ever uses it. 
Oh no. According to Miss Chris, she pointed out to the e-stop button and advised Miss Williams that it was it would stop the conveyor and the pump. She claims that she also stated that the only situation you'd use it use that in is say you were unloading and Tim fell in. He obviously can't shut down the ride on himself. You can hit that to stop to start the process rolling. In her subsequent statement to OIR, Miss Chris states that she told Miss Williams that she could press the e-stop if she was at the unload area and there was an emergency, and the ride needed to stop, needed to be stopped to get the shutdown started. However, she needed to alert the number one operator. She claims that she specifically mentioned a scenario of someone standing on the conveyor or off slipping down, in the context of explaining what an emergency situation may be. Right. And then 11.15, so she starts at what, 9.25? Then yeah. 11.15, so she's finished training and she's deemed competent by the supervisor. Right. <laughs> no practice drills, no tests, no shadowing, no testing knowledge. And you know what? You're 21 years old. Yeah. You press the button, the, the shutdown process. Do, do, are you really going to be confident in performing that shutdown process? No, of course not. No, because no, if you shut the ride down and it's deemed that you shut it down for not a good reason, you're fired. Like, that's the thing that probably is going through someone's head like that, going, I don't want to lose my job because I've shut the ride down for no good reason. All right, next one. Uh, lack of situation awareness or CCTV. So there's one monitor broken to nine screens. I don't know how big this monitor is. Right. But nine screens seems a lot. Yeah. Uh, Forensics Crime Unit Investigations, FCU, say that a CCTV monitor at the main control unit did not show the unload area or end of conveyor. The operator, so the number one uh, operator at the that would be usually man at the main control panel, yeah, had an obstructive view from his post, so he couldn't. The person couldn't see it from the post, and it was not on a CCTV. Yeah. Uh, so this guy is managing whole sorts of things. He doesn't have time to yeah. turn around and check everything. Yeah. You, what you need, you you needed a third person into that mix there. You so you had a operator in the bay manning the station and then a conductor essentially ferrying people onto the ride. Yeah. Number one operator's focus is not split between technical health and safety, mechanical and such, and taking care of patrons, of guests. Well, you could automate most of this stuff. It's it's 2016 back then. Like, there yeah. was computers, there's... Uh, this way to the ride. <laughs> yeah. Another one. Yeah. Popular ride. So, and it was a pressure to get Complete technical tra- checks and reopen a ride. Mm. So we, we talked about it. Well, we were discussing that before. There's high high pressure to keep people happy and keep people going through the ride. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so I just noted some of the timing. So first pump failed at 11.50. Right. Then was open 12.21. So okay. that's what? Uh, 41 minutes? Yep. Second pump failure. 13.09. Then so reopened at 13.25. So what? 16 minutes. Right. In a second, in a second time it failed. You would expect that to be the opposite. Yeah. You'd expect like, you'd expect a 50, like a sixteen or 15, fifteen minute pause between shutting it down and restarting for the first instance, and then a longer investigation for the second instance. Because you're going, hang on, this thing has failed twice in the space of a couple of hours. What's going well, no, on? Well, no, a couple of hours. So it says opened at twelve twenty one. Yeah. And then failed at thirteen oh nine. Yeah. So the gap between the first and second failure was mm. uh, what is it? 40 minutes? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it's shut, so it's shut for, 40, for 45 minutes. Then 40 minutes, and then it's reopened. 40 minutes later, yeah. it's it's broken again. 
and then 15 minutes they've technicians come out and restarted the and it's it's going again well it, it's getting better at resetting the the ride apparently yeah i guess so yeah optimal like reset efficiency no but no investigations that's the yeah thing. i think that's that's the key thing yeah all right so there's no like... stop no stopping going hang on why is it failing again yeah, yeah. Anyway. so the conditions one more uh i'll leave yeah. So lack of technical investigations, lack of engineering hazard assessment, mm. lack of technical designs, and it was an old design. So it's yeah. made in 1985 to in 1986, yeah. based off a 1979 Rapids River design in the USA. We were talking about that the, um, early, earlier. So yeah. it's a very, very old, old design. Mm. No one understands the faults. Um, so when the pump failed earlier during the week, so this is not just a day, it's like yeah. a few days before. The engineering department has their specialist people who looks after all electrical drives. They contact them. Mm. No hazard assessment conducted. So engineering hazard assessment. So it, the guy who knows structures, mechanical parts, um, nipping points. Yeah. There's nothing, none of that done at all. And again, because it's so old, probably the people who built the ride or who designed it, they've either passed on or they've retired or... Yeah. Yeah. Dead. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No record of designer's documentation and records of modifications. So, you know, old design, it's all done on what? Paper? Yeah. It's all yellowing in the... the in, in the, in pro- probably in the archive somewhere in, with, the, in the back of the office. With, with the spiders and everything. Yeah. A lack of servicing records. And we'll find later on, there was an engineering contractor invited to do all these assessments and they were giving a blank logbook. So, so was this after the accident? Uh, this was before the accident. Okay. All right, so the next layer. So we talked about individual actions, local conditions, risk controls. What was some of the things that the organization put in place to prevent accidents from occurring? Yeah. So administration control, we talk, is one of the lower ends of control. Mm. Um, if you can't manage it. So this is like people, this is talking about manuals, training, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of work was done around the old engineering design. Uh, by tasking operators to manage it. So we talked about, I think you talked about three-man teams. Yeah. So they actually did try to do that for vary from two to three. If you had three, then you could put more rafts on there. If you had less, then you just uh, put it back to two. Yeah. Uh, There was the introduction of the e-stop. I said the button that you can press to stop it, supposedly stops everything. They were asked to monitor the water level. But we, are you still using the eyeballs, not gauges? Not or a gauge sensor. or a sensor. Well, I, yeah. I didn't pick up any gauge or sensor. And yeah. some of the recommendations said that you, if you had a water gauge or a sensor, then you could have reduced the stress on the operator. Yeah. Well, you just have a, you have a flashing light of the console saying, hey, there's a water level. It's below optimum water level. You should investigate. Mm. Okay, let's go have a look at this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on a control panel, there's some safety audits done. Mm. Uh, there's a lack of labels on these uh, buttons, so yeah. it's, well, just, it's just a red button or yeah. green button. Yeah, exactly. All the, all the, all the we, same. We, for, for the record, we don't know what color button um, they are, but that that's kind of the idea, the the principle of it, yeah. And it's lack of guides on the button. So, yeah. you know, I guess you recall at high school, it's like big red button. Danger, like, stop. Danger, stop. Danger, and warning. And, and like someone's fingers and you're being chopped off and that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. Like, press this button, this is about to occur. Yeah. Well, often those buttons have like a twist release. You have to twist it and then push it usually, mm-hmm. I recall. But here, you, I don't think I put a picture here, but they show pictures in the coroner's report and it's just a, you know, the wooden post, yeah. where, which is, you know, part of the ride, the shelter bit. Yeah. 
and there's a little random button there. Right. That's it. Yeah. You know, just like an on-off switch that yeah. you know, on your on the wall of your yeah. of your room. Like, what does it do? I don't know. It's like, does it turn? Does it turn the overhead light well, on? Well, apparently, it carries someone's water bottle. That's what it said. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> okay. But again, you can imagine the scenario playing out of who was it? The instructor? No. The lady who was giving the training. Yes, uh, I think it was Miss Crisp. That's what Miss Crisp, yeah. Where she's just pointing off, essentially just random, yeah, just, ran, you know just dismissively in the, in the general direction. Don't worry about that. No one touches that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, what is that? Yeah. I think I should know. Yeah. Lack of engineering controls. So the main control button, they talk about e-stop or emergency stop. Yeah. They actually said it was a standard stop button, which takes eight to nine seconds to stop the conveyor. So, you know, we, we expect from high school those... You know, machines, press it, stops immediately. Mm. Not press it and it goes eight, eight, eight to nine seconds on that two kilometers per hour conveyor yeah. belt means life and death. Yeah. So no water sensors. There's no conveyor sensors at the end. So they actually had a conveyor sensor at the beginning if something gets trapped there. Yeah. And I guess there's a, what is there to stop con- collision? There's nothing there. Yeah. All right. So lack of reporting. So the TRRR. If there's faults or failures of critical components, they are to report it to the supervisor manager. So we only heard about it once that they were, it was reported to the engineering supervisor and they asked the contractor to come in. Mm. And the engineering manager, he wrote these procedures, but it was never properly communicated. So he said, if there's any critical part, and I, I guess in this bit, conveyor or water pump, if that fails, Report it immediately to the supervisor. Yeah. But what do we see in a technician? Well, it has to occur three times. Yeah. Before it become, before I report and becomes a bigger issue. The engineering manager said in the wrote in the procedure, immediately. Right. So that's very different. So does a whatever the engineering manager believes or mm. wants to communicate, it's not flowing down. Yeah. To his uh, to his people. To the subordinates. Yeah. That's uh, that's a common thing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Previous incidents, so 18th of Jan, 2001. So Miss Melinda Lind was frosted to perform the role of number one opera- ride operator on the TRRR. She commenced the startup procedure at approximately 9.17 a.m., releasing all the rafts to run a full cycle prior to opening the ride to guests. She was the only operator present at the time. At around 9.30 a.m., Mr. Joe Stenning, who was frosted on as a number two operator for the TRRR that day, arrived and opened the queue line for guests. Whilst the empty rafts were travelling the water course, guests had commenced lining up. As Miss Lynn began speaking to guests in line, two rafts became stationary at the unload area, with a further third travelling down the conveyor, having completed a full cycle of the ride. This was noticed by both Miss Lynn and Mr. Stenning. However, no attempt was made by Miss Lynn to release the stranded rafts. As the three additional rafts came off the conveyor, they collided with the stationary rafts, causing one to flip. Having seen the rafts flip, an operational code 6 was called, at which time Miss Lynn called 222 and tried to describe the incident, which was not clear. She then hit emergency jack button and stopped the conveyor. The rafts were unable to be freed. Senior attraction staff arrived at the TRRR shortly afterward, and guests were cleared from the area. The following photographs of the aftermath of the incident depict the scene. And I put a photo in that which you can see from the coroner's report. Yeah. It's just rafts all over the place. It's and one flipped upside down, I believe. Yeah. And it's strikingly similar to what happened in 20, so 2016? 
Yeah, yeah. so there's actually four rafts. The first one the, in the beginning first is sort stalled. of tilted. Yeah. Then there's two rafts, you know, the raft, the floaty bit, yeah. is they're back to back. So there's one on top and the one flipped upside down on mm. the bottom. So the seats yeah. uh, on the bottom. And then there's a third one, or there's, there's like the last one, which is like pivoted. And they're all, where is it? They're near the conveyor belt. Yeah. Near that point. 2001. So the, the warning signs were there. Well, it's not the first time, is it? Mm. So the Dreamwall report. It was found that the push of the conveyor caused a compaction effect, resulting in the rafts being caught at the unload area and one raft flipping. It is then believed that the unload button may have been depressed, releasing a raft, but a second raft with the push of the additional rafts became behind had got caught at the edge of the platform. So the contributory factors from the report so this is this is Dreamworld doing their safety report. Yeah, yeah. Said distractions from guests. Second operator was late. Mm. And the employee panicked and there was a lack of communication. Right. So the result was there was emergency response scenario training for all ride operators in the various code triple twos to help them with the confidence when involved in an emergency situation. The communication, a review of determining notification of broadcasts from code triple two phone calls. So trying to if emergency happens, what's your what's reporting? The process? What's yeah. your reporting process? Yeah. yeah, what's my things I need to know? Mm. Human resources to be involved in disciplinary action in regard to incorrect operation of ride. Right. So, so I, I am actually surprised at this. Like, yeah. you are disciplined. It's an accident. Maybe you're pretty new, but you didn't do the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> Fire. Amend procedures so that both operator and the deck end should be present to start ride opening and operating procedures. On all occasions, so well, I, well you just just on just on the uh, the human re- calling in human resources point there. Yeah, was this the responsibility of the two operators? Because it sounds like that there's a mechanical fault that isn't being addressed, but it doesn't sound like that this is a issue of the operators not pushing the right buttons. Yeah, unless I'm unless I'm not seeing something here. Well, it's like you know human error. Blame yeah, the per- blame the person. Yeah, done. Yeah, problem problem solved. Move on. Brush brush it over. Yeah. And then report, uh, following the incident, Miss Lynn was moved into a position working in the food and beverage division of Dreamworld. However, resigned shortly afterwards. And, right. Uh, she got moved from the rides to the, you know, serving out at the cafeteria. Yeah. Maybe make uh, earn less money and then mm. bye-bye. Yeah. Uh, there were safety audits that were done at Dreamworlds, but they were all operations focused. So... How you do business versus the engineering technical assessment. Yeah. So that's when you have external contractors coming in, but they have lacking in technical experience to review the rides. Some of the it's also the fo- it's also what your focus is. Your the focus here is not on mechanics and technical. It's on business and process. So yeah. when you're being presented with a problem, how are you how are you looking at the problem? If you're trying to fix it with people, yeah, it's admin control which is lower than engineering control, which is design, structures, mechanics. Like, they actually don't understand Hmm. what they're dealing with. Yeah. Well, a good example would be if you've got build-up on a a road, right? And it's a a very busy intersection. Okay, you've got all these these cars, and you've got two options. One is, okay, and you're looking looking at the problem trying to to solve it. You're looking at a a people problem, you're like, oh, there's too many cars. If you're looking at a mechanical problem, it goes, maybe we need to put a traffic light in to regulate flow, or do we need to put a roundabout in? And you go, both, if you're, how, you pres- how you approach a problem dictates 
or the perspective that you look at the problem dictates the sol- different solutions that might come out. Yeah, because you're only seeing one area, not yeah. seeing the whole picture. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so the audits just found signage issues, operations mm. issues, buttons, mm. the labeling issue. Yeah. Um, some technical improvements, but not the whole system's understanding, as you said. Mm. Next one, bad engineering certification. This is very interesting. Tom Poley was a private engineering contractor invited to do all the certification because there was a bit where they said all machinery needs to have their engineering renewed and it's on Dreamworld or the operator to do that assessment, Yeah, not the regulator. So he did not cite the certificate registration and here's a bit of the report. In relation to the TRRR, Mr. Pauly claims that he did not receive any completed maintenance documentation or logbooks. Rather, he was provided with blank daily and annual inspection schedule through email. So blank. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Mr. Pauly was... Blank, please fill out. <laughs> yeah, fill out for us. Yeah. Mr. Pauly was advised that there had been no issue with the TRRR for the past 12 months and that there was no current maintenance documentation due to the effort being put into the Class 5 rides. In relation to the TRRR, Mr. Cruz gave evidence... So Mr. Cruz is one of DreamWorld's um, engineering technical staff. Mm. He gave evidence that the only information provided Mr. Pauly was the preventative maintenance checklist. So therefore, what we're drawing out from this is no maintenance records were given to Mr. Polly. Downtimes, none of that was given. The certification was issued on the 17th of October, 2016, based on the operational history logbook inspection of critical components. Which, remember, the logbooks are blank. (laughs) Yeah. So... And they're so, not completed. So well, they're not completed. That's what yeah. I said. Yeah. So, so essentially, the ride's what, at this point, is 30, 30 years old? It was 86? 19, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, so we're talking about a 30-year-old ride. No point has it been heavily renovated or refit more, with modern mechanical processes to update the old stuff that hasn't, that hasn't happened or been brought up so far as a preventative measure. And all the logbooks are not maintained, are blank, and they're and certifications are being drilled out every year, right, without... Well, how, how do you know that? Because they haven't documented it. Yeah. They've modernized it. They've obviously put in e-stops and emergency yes. stop buttons. Yeah. There's no documentation. But that, but that, 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 I, There's I, no I, documentation in yeah. here to say we've mm. modified this and mm. this is what we've done with this circuit board. Yeah. No one's tracking yeah. this. No, yeah. It's just yeah. not written down. It, it's, no, it is, it is the perfect storm, actually. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so Mr. Polly, he... Mm. Uh, in the coroner's report, he certifies that TRRR is mechanically and structurally sound, but because he's not a electrical engineer, he's only mechanical, he puts a caveat that he hasn't done any assessment on electrical or operations. But, you know, Dreamwell has a certificate. Yeah. <laughs> so at some point you're going, well, I will give you the certificate in something that I don't know how to certify. Yeah. Yeah. Eight days later, then you have the accident. Right. Organizational influence, we're almost there. So, lack of qualified and trained personnel, or mm. lack of RPEQ, so recognized, I believe that's recognized professional engineer in Queensland. Yeah. So, there's reliance on a non qualified person, Mr. Bob Tan, who worked since 1987. He became an engineer during his tenure, but was not recognized by the RPEQ, well, not recognized as RPEQ, so not recognized okay. by the state he's working in. He's gone through the ranks. He's gone through the rank of project manager, technical and service director, maintenance controller, general manager of engineering, 
and finally director of special projects. Right. So he's gone through the ranks. He's yeah. Well, he's earned promotion after promotion after yeah. promotion just through tenure, going through your career as a lot of people do. There's a lot of people like that. Like they're not qualified, but they gain. Yeah. They yeah. can get into that position based on mm. experience. Yeah. And again, I think it's important that this isn't a, a slight at Dreamworld specifically going. This problem only could have only happened in Dreamworld. This is a problem or an issue rather that happens in businesses all over the place, oh, yeah. wherever you look. I'm really from my old old job, like this is an old crusty guy just wants to stay there. Yeah. It's comfortable, I know what I'm know what I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. And I can I can respect that that attitude, but there's also when you're promoting people, you need to make sure that there are some jobs that there's low risk attached to those jobs, attached to those roles. There are other jobs that have very, very high risk and that there's high danger if you put the wrong person in charge. Yeah. This is scrutinized by lawyers. So yeah. this is their comment. Like, yep, he's he's an engineering, but then, you know, he's not our engineer in Australia. He might, yeah. you know, come from a different background. Mm. So on the 2001 incident, he forwarded that on to the executives. He comments, this occurred on a rapid river ride several years ago. Unfortunately, there was no injury except for property damage. I shudder when I think if there had been guests on the rafts. 13th of November 2014 two years before the accident mm. and then we talked about an engineering head so Mr. Christopher Deves responded to Mr. Tan's email inquiring as to how the incident on a TRRR had occurred as he had never seen or heard of the event right Mr. Tan responded stating scary photos huh he also noted allowing rafts to bank up against a raft at unload dock but that's it like yeah. I was going for the report the, the, it doesn't say Mr. Ten can explain the, how it occurred apart from it's all rafts just piling up at they the unload bit it's like pretty much just all they, the raft just flipped yeah. that's it that's as far as you can go but but you know that's it that's where they stopped with, yeah. this is the heads of special uh, was it special, special projects, projects yeah. engineering department yeah. I don't know these are your leaders yeah uh, and, and these are the people that the buck stops with, yeah. and they're sitting all the, by their own admission. They're sitting there saying, "I've never seen or heard of it before." Because no one ever reports it. Because <laughs> the, not, well, well, it's, it's not it. documented. Because yeah. the because the logs aren't being maintained. Yeah. And why aren't the logs being maintained? Because there's not leadership from the top that's flowing down saying, "Hey, we need to record this." Instead, it's okay, just reassign the person, make sure that, uh, put some, some surface-level fixes to fix the problem for the next time, move on, carry yeah. on as normal. That's a top-level leadership problem that's yeah. flowing down. It is. Yeah. Um, uh, safety team. So the safety team only consists of first aiders, not professional safety staff. So mm. the guys who know your regulation, WHS, and yeah. you know stuff that you, I know it sounds pretty boring at the beginning of the year, but this keeps your boss out of trouble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it keeps families from dying. Mm. There's another one, organizational uh, cultural thing. Focus on business or new rides over the maintenance of old. So this is not from a current report. This is from a news article uh, from news.com. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so definitely trustworthy. But it says, the inquest heard Dreamworld placed priority on newer attractions ahead of older rides, such as the Thunder River Rapids ride. Former safety manager Mark Thompson agreed familiarity had bred contempt when it came to managing and maintaining the 30-year-old ride. The inquest at a Queensland coroner's court on the Gold Coast heard newer facilities such as a Lego shop 
and the redesign of the Tiger Island attraction were placed before the older attractions. New attractions were given a greater priority than the tried and true ones. Barrister Matthew Hickey, representing Miss Lowe's family, asked Mr. Thompson. Yes, he replied. Yeah. Yeah. So when you're all focused on the new shiny stuff, the old stuff doesn't get any uh, attention. attention and, and, and the old stuff doesn't. Yeah. It's lacking maintenance. And again, I can understand and appreciate that a business is going, we need to be forward focused. We're focusing on, on expanding business and on growing new things but when you're dealing with complex products such as theme park rides and again it's not just not just with a theme park it's with any business that is dealing with or with machinery complex machinery you can't be so forward focused that you then neglect or as as the word was be contemptful of the old machinery and just let it go off to just drift off to the side and not worry about it you can't do that you can put kids in it Exactly. No, don't do that. Well, that's what Dreamworld does. Like, I, I know, oh, I know, I, I know, I know. Oh. Let's say for this scenario that we are not following Dreamworlds as a as a role model in this scenario. Leaders were unaware. Yeah. So there's vague communication from we've you know we've we've picked up. Yeah. Uh, the, what is the employee's acceptable level of risk? We we talked about you know three times a day was three failures on that specific ride means we can shut down. That's what they believed. Yeah. That's not communicated properly, is it? Because, because in the, the manual it said, "Well, the engineering head says that's right. If something critical occurs on that ride, shut it down. Let me let me know. Shut it down. Yeah. Reports weren't making their way up the chain to the leaders. Mm. Well, and then empty logbooks. Thank yeah. you. And then you have this idea: you know, who's responsible for the safety of this stuff? Is it the operators or the technicians? Who is ultimately responsible for resourcing the safety team with the properly qualified? people so you have a safety team yeah mm. oh, it's safety team I, yeah I, this is my special bunch of people yeah uh, they're not really qualified they're first aid trained they're first aid. they don't do engineering hazard yeah. assessments yeah or training at so, all so yes they are safety team they're a safety team in the respect of people but they're not a safety team in respect of maintaining machinery looking after regulations yeah um, so managing re- regulations yeah. managing the training mm. you know realizing that 1.5 hours isn't I would use the term woefully inefficient in being given the tools that they needed to do their job. Yeah. Ta-da! Safety team. Yeah. All right. So what happens here in investigations at uh, ATSB, so Australian Transport Safety Bureau, is it only goes at the four levels. They're mm. going to stump sort of company. Yeah. There's, a, there's another one that Norwegians introduces, which is the regulatory framework, because what goes beyond organization, it's government law that yeah shapes these organizations yeah, that's right it yeah. gives them the big box of where yeah. they can operate that's right Here, here's the box you can operate don't stray be again the, the role of government here is providing the broad boundary rules of where you can sit keeping them broad enough so that they aren't restrictive but also making sure that businesses can't go hey i have a factory i'm going to go pollute the local river <laughs> we have rules to stop that sort of thing because it's harmful Exactly, exactly. That's how that's how the relationship, the push and pull between the, or the innate greed of a business is curtailed by the power of the government and it keeps them both in tension. Regulatory framework. There's too much trust by the regulator and there's multiple extensions and allowances given to to the dream world. Yeah. Uh, it says in the report, so OIR Chief Engineer Michael Chan recommended that the extensions be granted on a basis that on my knowledge of Dreamworld's maintenance, inspection, and testing regime, 
that a delay of a few months for a professional engineer to progressively conduct annual inspections will not introduce significant risks to DreamWorld's continued operation. During the inquest, Mr. Chang clarified that whilst he did not have detailed knowledge of the maintenance on the individual rides at DreamWorld, he had previously had discussions with Mr. Deves, whom he had a long-standing professional relationship about the existence of the inspection and testing program, and this was the basis of his recommendation. Inspection and testing program. There was, I think we recall from the teacher Pilar that there was a blank... <laughs> blank logbook. I, 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 I don't know, I'm, I'm going to be a bit sarcastic here, but I think I read something about a blank logbook, maybe? Uh, a blank logbook. Uh, when's the maintenance schedule? We don't have one. Yeah, here's, your, here's your daily and your monthly and annual blank. Please fill out. Yeah. Uh, so this... this cool. uh, the ball's definitely been dropped here. So there's, a, so there's an extension given because basically... Uh, the OIR came into the picture and said, you guys, when you do a certification, it needs to be done by a RPEQ, so yeah. Recognized Professional Engineer Queensland, yeah. not Mr. Bob Tan, yeah. who's not an RPEQ. Yeah. That's what it defined as qualified and competent. Or the option is you say to Bob Tan, hey, go get your qualification and then you can do the job. Yeah. Like there's two, there's multiple options here for you, but none of them were taken up. It was just, okay, just continue on, drift on. Push it aside, we'll keep moving on. Mm. And that's where problems happen. It does. That's the little big cracks. Yeah. Uh, 29th of September 2016, another extension request was given. Dreamwell tried to find the RPEQ engineer to conduct a hazard assessment and it was rec recommended by the chief engineer of OIR, by Mr. Chan. There's another focus by the regulators of mobile theme parks. So at that time, there was a focus by the OIR on... Uh, mobile theme parks because there was a crushing injury which occurred during the packing and unpacking of theme parks. Right. So it makes sense. What's the thing that can go wrong? Well, dismantling heavy machinery and setting it up. Yeah. It falls on you. It crushes the guy setting it up. Yeah. So that's where the focus was. And so, you know, for the for this old ride, we're never packing and unpacking it up. It's mm. going to stay the same. Just turn it on and off. Auditing oversight. So... This ride was authorized by the Chief Inspector of Machinery, I guess that's an old office position, in 14th of August, 1987. There was no reports. Every time you do a modification, you report it to the Chief Inspector of Machinery and you say, this is the latest mod that we do. Yeah. Please record it down. Please update our registration. None of that was, None of that was happening. Occurring. No. no. Uh, there was an audit done by OIR in 18th November, 2003. So... The teacher Pilar was inspected. No breach of WHS was found. Okay. And then there was another incident in 12th of October 2014, uh, responding to when the female guest fell into the water. Okay. And it says on that 2014 visit, the site visit took one and a half hours. Notebook recordings and the findings of the investigators state that assessment regarding the safety, load, and unload procedures, e-stop fitted at deparkation point, CCTV to monitor point, Electronic stop and release system is being upgraded. Second gate option currently being investigated. So they talk about, you know, gates to stop them from piling up and contact yeah. each other. One and a half hours. <laughs> and everything's uh Well you can you good. can probably speak in you can probably speak speak towards this one. Is one and a half hours enough time to do a review like that? No, I mean you you would go through the whole thing. But then I guess, you know, they focus on 
the woman falling into the water yeah rather yeah. than nipping points and, yeah. and rafts tipping over and again the, the scenario that i was talking about before of if you've got a build-up of traffic at this intersection what's your focus are you focused on the cars that are coming in or are you focused at the problem going okay can, what can we do to fix it your if your focus is put in a different in a different context your solutions or recommendations are going to change yeah Right. Yeah. Uh, wrapping this one up. So recommendations by the coroner and the aftermath. So aftermath. Referrals by the coroner of Ardent Leisure. So that's the company that owns Dreamwater yeah. to OIR. Yeah, I do. I do remember in the news that they that yeah. Ardent Leisure got raked yeah. pretty pretty heavily over yeah. the gravel. So with this one, you're looking at like criminal negligence. Yeah. So, uh, Tom Polly, the engineer who certified the ride, was referred to the board of professional engineers. Right. Professional, for professional conduct, I believe. Yeah. I tried to look these uh, these guys up. Uh, some of them, you know, some of these guys that we mentioned on report, mm. you, like you look them on LinkedIn. Yeah, yeah some of them have been uh, no longer there. Right. Uh, engineering controls. That was a recommendation. So, if if you try to rely too much on those two people, yeah, let's try to manage the risk by putting automation in there to relieve the stress of going between the the family of noisy kids yeah. and also managing the water level yeah. and also the unload area. Yeah. Let's put some of that automation in. Mm. Lack of safety management, oversight and commitment. Empty so, logbooks. Yeah. So just because the managers weren't aware was not deemed acceptable. Yeah. So no effort was made to search for issues, to dig deep into your yeah. organization and yeah. find out surely there's something wrong. Just yeah. because it's old ride and we've, with nothing happened seriously, yeah. no fatalities, yeah. doesn't mean there's an issue there. Well, again, if anything, an older ride would even would be even a brand new ride and an old ride, both on those opposite ends of the spectrum. I would say I would be the two warning groups that you'd be looking at rides going, okay, we need to keep a close eye on these. New ones, because they're brand new, they haven't been fully road tested yet, and you want to make sure you iron out all the kinks. The old ones, because they're so old, they start to fail. Yeah. Old cars, new cars, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Use the example of a car. If a car is, say, two or three years old and there hasn't been any incident, you go, okay, that's pretty good. 10 or 20-year-old car? You're like, I'm going to keep a... I'm going to sleep with one eye open looking at that thing, pretty much. Yeah. Regulatory changes. So there's... You know how to put notifications place in your notebook. So if there's an issue and the OIR wants to come in and they've shut down the ride or the do some kind of restriction on it, they put a notification out. And I say, these are to be put into your logbook so that when the certifier comes out, it's yeah. there. It's mm. aware for them to see so they don't yeah. get blank logbooks. Yeah. Uh, one of the things I actually noticed was uh, Ardent Leisure was adopting aviation safety management. So Aviation safety? Yeah, so a lot of stuff that we talked about, the, the methods of investigation, um, some of the checks, some of the making sure you have people who are properly qualified. Okay. These are all like regulation best practices. Right. So aviation best practices. Oh, I follow you. And okay. they're trying to like follow those things. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. All right. So reflections and change of thoughts, assumptions and trust. Mm. Well, Pat, who do you think is to blame? Initially, my assumption, and this is based off the new, the information I'd been, I've been given, given from, media from from the news from the TV, from evening news and newspaper articles that I read back in 2016 um, 2016 and 17 at the time 
I was assuming that this was a personnel issue on the the operators. Yeah. When we've dug into the details of the coroner report, I'm seeing actually they're essentially a in, somewhat of an innocent victim of gross mismanagement on the leadership side. And it start and the leadership problems looks like it started from the very top, and it's filtered all the way down, mm-hmm. causing ca- a cascade of more and more problems yeah. that are getting more serious. And you then you've then caught got the the individual operators caught up in this mess. You've got the well, you're reading the story of the uh, was it the paramedic at the start. Yes, he's now dealing with PTSD. Yeah, you've got all these innocent essentially bystanders who are now casualties of this gross mismanagement that's caused by the, by in this case, the dream, the dream world star, um, leadership team. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know, I, actually, you know, I think in the O'Connor, well, when they're doing the, the trials on the car, mm. the lawyers, I think they actually try to pin the blame on the, there's, num- there's number one and number two operators. And I'm actually glad they didn't because, yeah. you know what, those two people were placed in their there's nothing bad they time. There's nothing they could have actually done. Yeah, like, like if, you, if you try to swap him out for a bunch of other crew, I think yeah, it would you'd get the same problem. The same thing. Yeah. So. No, if if yeah. you, I th- I think when you're trying to assign blame, you look at it and you go, is there anything that they could have done different that would have resulted in a more favorable outcome? And in this case, the operators, I can't think of anything that they could have done necessarily to have improved to cause a more favorable outcome. However, with the upper level management, with the leadership team, the engineering team, there was there was a litany of different things that they could have done in the weeks, months, years leading up to this event. Two thousand one. I know. Yeah. <laughs> well, there was an email exchange going, "Hey, um, pretty pretty crazy stuff in these photos, right?" Yeah, I think we should actually look into that. Oh, how did it occur? I don't know. I don't know exactly. Yeah. It's like, let me go check the logbook. Oh, it's pretty, pretty oh, scary stuff. Oh, yeah. the logbook's empty. Yeah. Uh, so how preventable was this accident? What do you think? I think it was highly preventable because for my take at least, I'm looking at this going, the leadership team is at fault here. Yeah. They, there's gross mismanagement there. How could it have been prevented? Re- uh, reporting back in 2001, between 20, 2001 and 2016, if they'd been keeping an accurate report of issues and faults, it could these the warning signs could have been picked up sooner yeah. and preventative measures could have been taken. Yeah. All right. So we talked about some of the findings, recommendations uh, before. So do you think they make sense? I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it, they in this case the coroner's report does, and their findings and their recommendations do actually make sense on how you can essentially stop this thing, something like this, from happening in the future. Yeah, because, you know, we looked at the first incident in 2001. It's like, yeah. you know, uh, HR, for this person, HR, you didn't, do any, you didn't do the right thing, Yeah, get fired. You look at professional investigation, such as what a coroner's done, is, yeah. you know what, some of the issues up the chain. Yeah. Um, what do you think is missing from this? What's missing from the story? Uh, do you think we've covered up everything? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. You, think you can tell the story and you can figure out what went wrong. I think so. Yeah. 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 It's good to know. Mm. All right. So some of my bits. Um, so we've done multiple episodes on tragedies and accidents. Um, and we always 
recognize that in a tragic event, there's always some precursor event. So, yeah. you know, the there's Korean, a lead up. There's a, you know, the Korean vessel, well, you could see some of the protests, there's some yeah. issues of management. I, I, I was actually remembering that, 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 um, yeah. that cruise, that cruise ship, yeah. uh, capsizing the, there were a lot of parallels in the, in the lead up mm. of, it's because, because again, both, both of them, were, they came down to mechanical issues that weren't being addressed by the people in charge. Yeah. So there's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of striking parallels. Gallipoli, remember Gallipoli? Yeah. Well, the it was also the Russian Japanese War. Yeah. And the guy who led the Australian forces in Gallipoli was also in the Russian Japanese yeah, War. Yeah, as an observer. So I think you know what? It's a very human thing that we just mm. discussed. To forget is to be human. Yeah. And there's a you know a safety is it's always a boring thing to talk about, but it's like you know the battle of safety is to fight human tendencies for us to be lazy to shortcut because yeah. you know what that's the easiest thing to do yeah we take we take we take the easy option yeah that's uh, human nature i think i learned that uh, we can be trusting where we can be too trusting of big companies so dream world mm. you know it's like for the american guys it's like you go into miami or florida florida yeah. and it's always you go to dream uh, you go to disneyland yeah you know for us it's like gold coast dream world yeah and it's a big brand thing like you, you turn on a tv you want this trip to gold coast you go into dream world yeah it's like oh my gosh you're going to dream world? you want to go to dream world now <laughs> um, oh the, well the the fallout the, the fallout of this mismanagement is that a a major tourist icon has been i would say irreparable not sure if it's irreparably damaged but it's been severely damaged in the eyes of the public and again, for very, very good reason. Like you, you've made your bed now; you get to sleep in it, pretty much. Mm. But the damage that's been caused is very, very significant, and it doesn't just impact the upper level management of of a, of a corporate company. You've got employees. You've got people that provide goods and services that rely on Dreamworld as a business that they can supply their services, goods and services to. You've got local accommodation. It's it's a central nexus point that has a far-reaching impacts when the, when something like this happens. Yeah, it's like a cost-benefit analysis. So yeah. you know the engineering, you know, to build a circuit, you can go to like you know JB Hi-Fi, not JB Hi-Fi, uh, JCar, and yeah. just build a circuit yeah. and put in some kind of water sensor in. Yeah. How much does that cost? You know, maybe fifty bucks, hundred bucks. Engineering costs. Yeah. The legal cost, the reputational cost, the business yeah. cost, the compensations that we dealt is yeah. so much more in magnitude compared yeah. to engineering fixes yeah. and spending if, extra if a li- time. If, you'd, if some people had shown a level of initiative and I would, I would argue a level of leadership being assertive and taking charge of a, of a potentially dangerous situation, recognizing the warning signs, going, hang on, this doesn't sound right. Okay, I'm going to be the one to fix it. As opposed to just you know what just just let it aside that's fine that's I'm just gonna my, not my job no it's 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 not my job I, it's not in my job description it's above yeah. my pay grade and again it's not just one individual at fault it's yeah. multiple levels of leadership that have failed in their duty in their job and it's cascaded down into the tragedy that's now occurred yeah and you know what the lower down yeah as you said the lower down the chain the the less options you have the less yeah impact you get to make yeah and it's too late yeah and you're, you're trapped in that little box in your day-to-day job yeah
When we examine the findings in a coroner's report, we find a number of safety factors that point to an organizational problem. I found them to align under the five factors of James Reason's safety culture. That is reporting, just, flexible, learning, and informed. In reporting, there are communication issues from the executives down to the first responders. There was an expectation of immediate reports to be made to the executives on critical components on the rides versus the technicians believing that only a fault need to be reported when it occurred three times on a ride. In flexible, people seem driven to get the job done. However, it's a different thing to prioritize the reopening of the ride to the guests without investigating what went wrong. The engineering team did not bring forward the contractors and experts to examine the pumps. They were willing to let it go to the appointment. Were they applying good judgment to shut down the ride for safety's sake without questioning what is going wrong? Just or just culture? Was Dreamwell just to relieve the operator in the 2001 incident and transfer her to the food and beverage? How can anyone be open report if there's a fear of making mistakes? Learning. Did Dreamwell take the lessons seriously from 2014 onwards? They continued to use admin controls. Were they actually learning how the fault occurred? Informed. Information is lost over time and there's a lack of in-depth investigations into the faults. Executives communicated on a 2001 incident. They questioned how did such an event occurred. They weren't willing to bring in the right trained and qualified people to manage the matters. There's lots of documents which made it hard when people move on from the company. The lesson here is that any business dealing with machinery is at risk here. There are so many leadership lessons to pick up with managing the risks of machinery and humans. When we look back at the people involved on the TRRR, yes, the operators were the last line of defense and the ones on the ground operating the machine. However, it is very hard to put blame on their shoulders and we shouldn't because they were put in a very hard place and given little tools and training to manage complex machinery that should it fail, lead to a fatality. If you like this series, please like, share and subscribe. Put a link on your social media profile for your friends to listen to. Every support counts and motivates me to develop new episodes. You can also reach us by email at thefireinthedesert at gmail.com and Twitter at fireinthedesert. Music is Outfoxing the Fox by Kevin McLeod at imcontact.com. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Fire in the Desert.